Hello, my name is Taina Evans, and we are at the Canarsie Library. Today is January 28th, 2017. My name is Taina Evans for the Our Streets, Our Story Project of Brooklyn Public Library, and I'm with... Arun Aguiar. Good afternoon, Arun. How about you start by telling us your Brooklyn story? What led you here? Okay, I'm going to cut short my Brooklyn story just because... Uh, if I s tell you my entire Brooklyn story, it could take days. Uh, so I'm going to tell you my Brooklyn story only in so far as the um, story as it pertains to the physical geographical location of where I live. Um, not where we are right now, because I could tell you unending stories about my experiences at the Canarsie Library, where we are, but I'm not going to go into that. So, I've been living in uh, Canarsie at 1041 East 83rd Street between Avenue J and K, which is about a 10 to 15 minute uh, brisk walk from over here. Um, and occasionally, uh, when I come home late in the night, I will take a bus which uh, is number 42, which goes along Rockaway Parkway, where the library is. And then I'll jump off at the library stop. And then it's a straight walk for me about 13 blocks to my home. Um, so that's the physical connection between the library and where I live, or the incidental connection. Um, I live in an adult home. Officially, it's called a congregate care level three facility. The loose description for it is adult home. Another broad, loose, but incorrect description just like the adult home is an incorrect description. Um, but the broad description for it is assisted living. I live with uh, seven, uh, the capacity is 74 people. Uh, they're not all, uh, many of us are seniors, but they're not all seniors. I think the youngest person is around 35. The oldest person might be around 95 or 85. There's some who are 80, 80, 85, some are, I think there's one who's 95. I moved in here October 22nd, 2015. And I've been living here since then. Um, it's the first time I've experienced um, this kind of facility. I think I'd never even visited one before I moved in over here. And... Uh, it's just been a whole new chapter in my life. Uh, very, very interesting chapter. One reason why it's interesting is because I have 73 neighbors with whom I share in a common dining room, recreation room, smoke room, garden, backyard, lobbies, corridors. Um, and each of them is a character. And I think not one, but all of them consider me to be a character as well. So we're all individual characters and then we rub shoulders with each other and come into contact with each other. And some people never talk to anybody the whole life and other people are gregarious. But it's almost impossible to escape contact with uh, any of the my co-residents. <laughs> the very fact that we're all there means that we have an interesting backstory because you wouldn't end up in a place like this unless you had an interesting backstory. Um, I'm here because um, of a pretty careless 
flamboyant lifestyle where I tried very, very hard to live for the day and not live for tomorrow. Um, so a situation arose where um, it was best for me not to look after myself anymore and have somebody else looking after me. And that's what this place provided. Um, in a way, it has been a great experience. In other ways, it has been a nightmare. Um, I'm able to cope with very well with the nightmarish aspects of it. For many of my uh, co-residents, it is hell. Um, for many people, they came in off the streets, um, literally from homeless shelters, basements, um, the streets itself, hospitals. Um, and for most people, if they were to leave or to be thrown out, there's only one place for them to go to, and that's the streets, um, which is one reason why most people stay, despite the fact that it's, uh, for some people, it's a living nightmare. <coughs> um, what else should I say? It is a freestanding building, about um, four stories, plus a basement, plus a roof. We have a huge... Uh, garden area, which is uh, completely neglected. Um, there's a front garden where we have three or four benches, which are ramshackle and broken. Um, but we sit on it, particularly during the summer. And uh, many people are smokers. And uh, we have a smoke room, which is kind of unusual because in New York City, the authorities are trying to minimize the exposure of uh, people to secondhand smoke. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a smoke room, but the door opens and closes, and smoke escapes all over the place. So, st strictly, I think, if the city knew, or if somebody woke up to realize that they ought to know, that smoke room should have been shut down. And even in the garden area, smoking should be regulated. But it isn't, so we're enjoying life. I began smoking again about six weeks ago after seven years of uh, not smoking and similar periods before. I'm just throwing out the number seven. But it's approximately that, five years, six years, seven years, eight years. I've given up three or four times. Um, one reason why I began smoking is one night I was coming home by bus mm -hmm. late in the night and I needed to... I came home on the subway and then I need, needed to take a bus to get home. And a woman was standing near the bus stop and smoking a tiny little um, cigarette. And I took one look at her and I said, stop, what are you smoking? And exactly as I uh, recognized, she was smoking what in India we call a BD. It's B-I-D-I. <coughs> it's the um, cigarette which is smoked by the majority of Indians who smoke, mm -hmm. by millions of people. And it's also the cigarette which is the smoked by the poorest of the poor. Uh, it's a handmade, um, handmade cigarette, which is uh, a rolled leaf with uh, a string uh, tying it together and with the tiniest amount of tobacco. But it's much purer and cleaner 
than an American cigarette because there's no paper, there's no uh, fiber on the filter, there's no chemicals. Uh, it's pure. It's just a piece of leaf um, with a tiny amount of tobacco in it. And when you smoke it, people uh, instantaneously think that you're smoking pot because of the fragrance. But it's not. It's just a clean cigarette. Um, so uh, uh, she said, BD. I said, of course, I know it's a BD. Where did you, how did you get it? Um, and she said, they sell it right over there. And she pointed out uh, a store on the next block. You want to take care? You want to stop? Pause? You want to pause? Oh. Yeah, let it lock. Uh, just because if I get disturbed when I'm talking, I lose my trend of thought and I yeah. uh, get I, I, I won't come back properly to the subject that we were talking about so, um, uh, because I'll think of something else uh, related to the interruption. So um, I said, um, really? And um, she said, yeah. And uh, that ended the conversation. She made it seem as if she didn't really want to converse. And I got into my bus and left. Uh, the bus drove off and I, I looked at her. Oh, the, sorry, then I called out, aren't you getting on the bus? And she was like, she, she said no, in a you know very cordial and pleasant way, not with any negativity. And she turned away. Um, and as we drove off, I realized she was a streetwalker. And... Uh, I kind of felt so stupid for not having recognized that before and uh, you know not recognizing that she was not really in a position which she wanted to be and um, it might even be a sign of desperation that she was smoking a BD but uh, I decided um, to come and check this place out and um, then I began getting nostalgic about my uh, days in India which is where I came from about 35 years ago and times when I'd smoke BDs, um, if you're educated or upper class, and even if you were a BD smoker before, the moment you are successful in life, then you give it up. You, you turn your back on it because it smells very strong. Uh, you reek of the tobacco. And it literally is smoked by the poorest of the poor. And you're no longer part of the poorest of the poor. So why would you smoke something that identifies you with something that you're not? But uh, for me, it was a little bit of nostalgia. It reminded me of my wild, uh, youthful days. Um, and I said, what the heck? Christmas is coming, New Year is coming, my birthday is coming. I got to smoke this. I got to remember my days. So I began smoking. And I have it. I have the BDs on me. Um, I still, I still, uh, I like them more than cigarettes because they're short. They're, they are um, sweet. And they finish very fast. The only thing is you can't talk when you're smoking them because then they go out and you have to keep lighting them. Um, but they're much better than cigarettes because for that same uh, momentary urge to smoke, you smoke much less and you smoke much cleaner and you, you smoke much purer. Uh, the good thing in this place is that most of the day people are bum bumming each other because what happens is regardless of what income you have or what your source of income is, all of us surrender everything that we have to the management of the home 
and then each of us gets about an average of $214. Some people get less depending upon the, I don't know why, but some people get less. It could be down to about $160. Uh, and some people are affluent and they have independent sources of income. Um, so I'm not sure whether they actually physically pay more or they just uh, have enough to um, be able to afford more. But the rest of the people, um, when they get their allowance, it's usually um, three or four days into the start of the month because the management gets paid by the government on the first of the month. Mm -hmm. And then they wait two or three days for the checks to clear. Mm -hmm. And then they hand out $214 in cash to everyone, except those who are getting less. And most people, not all, but uh, and maybe even the word most is not right, many, many people are in hock to one of the residents who very cleverly has positioned himself as the money lender and he lends at 100% um, and expects to be paid on payday and a lot of people have borrowed up to $100 from him so on payday they surrender 200 and they're left with 13 and they bust that up with a Popeyes or a Chinese dinner or whatever so in two days time they're back in hock to him but many of them are smokers and uh, they're unable to control themselves. So all day long, people are going around picking up butts, begging butts, bumming cigarettes, uh, stopping you while you're smoking and saying, can I, you know, can you share that with me? Can I have half? And the moment you sort of begin to stub it in an ashtray, it's like, you know, vultures on the carrion. You have like two or three people swarming for it. So it's quite comic. Um, but the beauty is that almost nobody Nobody, nobody wants to smoke the BD. So I can carry as many BDs as I want. I can smoke them as often as I want. <laughs> Nobody's asking me for them. Now, the other funny thing about this whole smoking scenario is that, uh, number one, I don't do sodas. I don't eat out much. I'm pretty uh, self-sufficient. Um, I live a high lifestyle. There's nothing that if I want, I don't allow myself. Um, so, you know, I eat the most expensive foods, I drink the most expensive drinks. When I want to buy something, I always have enough money to buy it because I have a very supportive brother mm -hmm. who was a very successful corporate executive. Mm -hmm. And all I have to do is to just call and say, I need X amount of dollars and it's in the mail. And frankly, I don't even ever need to do that for the last maybe 10, 15 years. I've not asked him because Without my asking, he'll send me a thousand and um, interestingly, because I'm Indian, it's never a round figure because in India we always add uh, at least a dollar as a symbol of saying that uh, uh, here's, some, here's a present and just to show that I would like to go even further, uh, here's a dollar more. So it's always like 11, 21, 51, 101, 501, 1001. So when my brother sends me a check, it's for a thousand and one. Sometimes when he knows that I need cash, I might have mentioned it to him on the phone or Christmas is coming or New Year is coming, then it will be 2001. And basically all my needs are taken care of. You know, I get three meals and four meals, three meals a day plus a snack and coffee in the evening. We get free housekeeping, free laundry. Um, everything is free. And the 200 that you get is meant as an allowance for 
you know buying things which they don't give you like maybe toiletries or shampoo or but even that uh, there are you know church groups that come around or you can go to so it's really is pocket money um so i have the same pocket money as everybody else but everybody else is either in hock to the money lender or the moment they get it they have you know 10 things they need to spend it on for me i just sort of added to the cash that i already have i don't even know that i've got i, I don't even i have a habit of not counting my cash so i don't even know it's there but why was i saying this? oh sorry so when i began smoking um sometimes i would run out of beads it's not physically close to me um and uh, so i end up smoking the most expensive cigarettes um so when i'm smoking that i've got like 10 eyes watching me like a hawk mm-hmm. and now i've learned not to carry the packet with me and i'll leave my room just with one cigarette in my, in my lip and if i know that i'll meet a friend somebody like joe who came with me here today mm-hmm. um i'll carry an extra one secretly so i can give it to him or her mm-hmm. but uh, sometimes i'm just wearing uh, shorts with no pockets or it's not convenient for me to carry one so then i'll just carry one and then i can honestly tell people that i can't give you one because that's all i have but uh, that's the interesting thing that nobody touches me for the bd so i'm completely free um why was i saying all that to talk about how interesting oh right yeah 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 so the whole day is full of excitement and interest because you can't avoid interaction if people are you know bumming you for a cigarette now this is the interesting thing this there's a whole part of life in this place which i didn't know existed um which is in the smoke room because the what we have a recreation room which is right next to our dining room and both of them are in the basement the rec room has always been set up auditorium style so the seats are uh arrayed uh, to point at the tv and everybody sort of sits as if they're sitting in a cinema house so there's no communication between people because you're sitting looking at somebody's back and you're all staring at the tv and there is a long table which some people sit around at and they might engage in a little amount of conversation mostly they use it because they've ordered food in from outside and they're sitting there and eating one or two people will sit and say prayers one of the staff members always sits there and reads the bible um but literally there's almost no communication in the rec room there are people who sat at the same table in the dining room for years who don't say a word to each other either they hate each other or they've just stayed inside the house for so many days in a row that they have nothing to say to each other um they all most of them have a radio or a tv or something but uh, they've just gone into silence the smoke room however the chairs all face each other uh and uh there's a tv in the room sometimes people will bring their radio and it's just impossible to avoid interaction in addition there's the grease of the shared cigarette or the bum cigarette or the found cigarette uh which then leads to somebody getting irritated or you know some kind of interaction and like i owed you and i gave you that the other day and you didn't give me and so uh i've actually really enjoyed the act of smoking and that's one reason why i haven't given up i told myself that 
on Christmas Day when my children would come and visit me. By then I would be giving up. And I was able to conceal from them that I'd started smoking again because they wouldn't like it and I didn't want to make them feel bad on Christmas Day. Uh, but I was able to conceal from them that I was smoking. And then I said, I'm just enjoying life, you know. And uh, a long time ago, I decided for myself that I'd lived far longer than I'd ever expected to. I'd expected, you know, by a certain number of years that I would be gone. I was sure, you know, I'm not because I had so many friends who and family members and relatives uh, who had died young. Um, and I'd never thought that they would die at all. I always was sure that there was one particular friend I had who was just, you know, full of life, uh, supercharged with energy. And unlike the rest of our group of mostly boys, some women, he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he had no vices. And he died maybe 15 years ago of uh, colon cancer. And I said, uh, I've lived a lot longer than I ever expected to, that I, I deserve to. And some of my friends have gone like so much before me. So I'm just reading every day as a gift. If I wake up in the morning, I'm alive. That's a gift to me. So I'm not going to control myself. I'm not going to stop myself from doing anything I want to do. Because you can't tell me that you'll die younger because I've already lived longer. So life in the smoke room has just been like, I've got to know people better. Um, we talk, we chat. Um, and um, how much time do we have left? Hello? Nine minutes. Okay, let me tell you briefly. Uh, there won't be time to go into too much detail on this. Uh, one reason why this place is a nightmare is because many adult homes are run by non-profits uh, or run as a non-profit, you know, incorporated an entity that has its own management. And some of them are part of chains which are run by organizations like Catholic Charities or a Jewish... Uh, um, JASA, I think is the name. Um, so they are service-oriented and they, are in it, they exist to serve. So people are looked after. Mine, like a few others, is uh, owned by a private individual and he runs it to make money. So the, the goal of the place is to milk Medicaid and Medicare for as much as they can. So we have a doctor who comes in once a week as a general practitioner. Uh, he sees 10, 20, 30 people in about uh, 90 minutes time or 60 minutes time um, and bills Medicaid as if he's seen them for an hour. Uh, my first encounter with him, he looked over my chart and I said, I need you to know these are my three conditions which uh, I need to, you know, have monitored and looked at on a regular basis and he was like yeah yeah we look after we look after you i said but yeah but i would like to tell you the individual history on each of these don't worry don't worry we'll we'll you know so i said well maybe you know it's the first day he might be busy he can see that there's physically nothing really wrong with me so he's giving me short shrift which is fine but the second time i saw him which was maybe a month later or, or one week later i think one week later I began telling him that, uh, um, oh, he said, you're new. 
and uh, there was a medical assistant with him uh, who's there more of the time and she does paperwork and all and i said no you saw me before and so there was some back and forth about whether he'd seen me or not and he said okay that's fine and i was like but last time you saw me you saw me for 90 seconds uh i didn't get a chance no no i know everything about you my mind is like a computer i can tell you exactly which medication you're t- having in your which one you're taking from i said yeah but i need to tell you the little history of each and you know how the medications are working and which one works better for me which one work- and i need to ask you some questions about the medications he told the nurse these are the damn kind of people we don't need over here insolent um arrogant uh and then he told me i don't need you you can go and see any doctor you want uh go out and get out and go and see whoever you want i don't need you over here so i'm giving that as an example of the kind of treatment you get we have nurses over there who spend most of the day listening to the radio and chatting and we have home health aides for uh, almost everybody has a home health aide attached to them some people don't either because medically they don't qualify or fin- i don't know why but almost every one of us i would say about out of 74 people i would say 60 to 65 have a home health aide the home health aide sit most of the day at the table in the room that i described to you they talk louder than the tv mm-hmm. once in a while i will turn around and tell them i'm sitting here because i want to hear the tv not your family gossip i don't need to hear the four letter words that you're throwing at each other because you're angry with each other um there are bed bugs all over the place there are cockroaches all over which walk on the walls as we are sitting there are fruit flies which accompany the fruit salad every day um i for a long while did not leave the home for two or three weeks at a time because i had physical problems and medical problems which made it difficult for me to walk and to travel uh but i soon began uh, recuperating and recovering and in about 6 months time i was uh, able to put most of the medical issues behind me um and then in another 2 or 3 months after that uh, i was able to even be better off than i'd been before some kind of miraculous i don't know there's no i can't explain it the doctors can't quite explain it so i'm throwing out the word miraculous it's not miraculous but uh, something which i can't explain has enabled me to you know be my former self again and uh, then i began going out just the opposite of where before i hadn't even like gone more than a block and a half It took me like about a week just to discover what was the avenue on exactly what were we bounded by It took me like maybe about a month before i actually went and circumambulated the entire block um on which i lived and it took me months before i took a subway ride and a bus ride but after about 6 months um and i'm a great adventurer just as you mentioned it's been great going out to the different branch libraries i love to go to places i've not been before i love to have experiences i have not had before um and then i began adventuring so for the next 6 months or so i would um go out everywhere and come back at 2 o'clock 3 o'clock 4 o'clock in the morning um but um so the first you know few months i wasn't communicating much with people later on i began going out and so there was no time to communicate much with people 
But when I began going into the smoke room, I think if I write a book, I should just call it the smoke room. Uh, then I began discovering, you know, parts of life. And I began feeling bad, not for me, because I was coping fine. I began feeling bad for the people there and how, you know, they'd, they'd been sort of beaten into submission or they were frightened to say, open their mouths. And I knew for a fact that if the doctor treated me this way, if the home health they treated me this way, if the nurse treated me this way, if the management treated me this way, if the kitchen staff treated me this way, I'm who educated, experienced, uh, you know, a long history of experience, work history in a diverse variety of fields. There's almost nothing I haven't done. I've been a journalist, I've been on Wall Street, I've been an executive director of social work organizations. I've been a non-profit, I've been an activist, I've been a revolutionary, there's almost nothing. I've been a writer. Um, I said, if they treat me this way, God, you know, help and God save these other people who are just too timid to open their mouths. And so I've begun agitating. And now we have like a full-fledged revolution going on. Um, and they haven't even got the taste of what's in store for them. Because so far we haven't gone outside the premises to make a complaint to anybody. Uh, and I'm the kind of person who doesn't believe in, in snitching, even when it is in your interest. It's just not in my lifestyle. So we've just been, you know, fighting them face to face. And so it's a great chapter in our lives. And uh, I think... Uh, this building is going to get pretty well known pretty fast. Uh, there's a newspaper here called the Canarsi Courier. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've, I've developed a nice relationship with them. When I mentioned to them, I, I, I got to know them way before I revealed to them where I was living. The moment I revealed to them where I was living, they said, oh, that place is shady. And if he, I said, I'm glad you knew because we know. And I haven't yet... Uh, told them the inside version of the stories. But it's a great newspaper. Uh, as a neighborhood community, I think it's probably the best paper in the city. And so they are like, you know, they don't even know it, but they're like hungry for the story of South Shore Manor, which is where I live. And we've got great stories to tell them. So the world is going to hear about where we live pretty soon. I mean, you told an amazing story, and um, you know, I took notes here, and I hope that uh, you got um, you get more out of the revolution as it seems to come. Is there something um, that you didn't get to mention that you probably would like to mention for lasting <coughs> and future generations that's hearing um, <coughs> this information about this facility or you know within this community? Um, just as a just as a way of introducing this, because there isn't time to go into it in great depth. Mm -hmm. I brought along with me for the benefit of the library patrons uh, copies of a newspaper called The Independent. Mm -hmm. It's a non-profit, uh, volunteer-driven, uh, independent publication. And I saw an issue of it just after the election. I've known it for the last 10 years. But I saw the issue which came out just after the election. I was very active uh, in the last six months in the election. Um, and after the after November 8th, <coughs> like many, many, many people all over this country, I was wondering, like, what do I do next? 
And then I read this newspaper and I said, I know what I'm doing next. I'm going to get as many people as I can to read this newspaper because I was so excited about the quality and the treatment. So I became an informal, self-appointed volunteer distributor of the paper. And uh, they got so excited about what I was doing that in the next issue, they wrote, about a, they wrote a story about me. And I decided um, within two or three days of, you know, publicizing or popularizing it, I decided that Kanarsi, first thing that I discovered is that they had never come to Kanarsi. Kanarsi didn't know that this paper existed. And I said, what better and easier distribution can I do than just distributing it in Kanarsi itself? Uh, so they, they got very uh, excited about that. And they interviewed me with the intention of motivating others in other neighborhoods to do something similar. And so then they made that story into a full-page story with three other stories of other people who were also their volunteer distributors in their neighborhoods. Um, and so that, that story, and I have a copy and I'll give you that, okay. it tells you about my Kanarsi experience. And it describes Kanarsi, what kind of neighborhood it is. Uh, and it describes my goals for the distribution of the paper. And it, it's all Kanarsi related, my section of it. Um, and so I brought copies over here today with me. And I was alarmed to find that I had come here two or three days ago. And I put papers of the copy there, um, copies of the paper there. And I'm 100% sure that one of the librarians did not know that it was approved for me to leave the papers there and has thrown them in the garbage. So that's what I want to talk to Tom about because Tom is the man who approved them. He was a little hesitant when I showed him the first issue because it was entirely political. It was post-election. In fact, it's called post-election issue. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't know because it'll show that the library is taking sides. And I said, but hang on. Here inside the paper, is a listing of 10 branches of the Brooklyn Library, including the Central Library, which carry the paper. So why should you be concerned? But that wasn't enough for it, for, for it to sway him. And I said, you know, the issue changes from, issue, I mean, the, the theme changes from issue to issue. One time it's environment, another time it's climate, third time it's education, and fourth time it's food. It just happens that this is post-election, so they're featuring the election. So I brought the next issue with me, and as it turned out, my picture was there. And the story was there. And I said, here's the next issue. Take your time. Look at it. You'll see that it's different you know, from the previous issue. Although we are living in a post-election period, so a lot of it is political. But as I told you before, it changes. And then I said, but, and by the way, my picture's in the paper and my story. And he said, if your picture's in the paper, we're carrying it. <laughs> so I said, is that approved? He said, yeah. But he possibly didn't tell everyone. And I'm 100% sure because I know the library, I know the pickup of other papers there. There's no way that all the copies of the, I brought copies of two issues and stacked them. There's no way that they got taken. They got, I'm 100% sure that they got thrown away. We'll never be able to prove that, so I'm not even going to tell him that. But now I'm going to give him the copies and say, now you put it out yourself. <laughs> well, thank you so sure. much for your time. This has been wonderful. Okay, great.